Good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? Good. We're going to be in Philippians this morning. If you want to go ahead and start making your way there. Um, I don't know how y'all came to church this morning and how, what kind of season your life, of life that you're in because right now school started back uh, for us at Trinity. Uh, I work at Trinity as a director of technology and it's kind of busy, like just things starting back up. You kind of get the teachers kind of start coming in. They get a little bit of a, a little bit of headway on the students and the students come back in. If you a parent and you have students starting back to school, you're adjusting back to schedules from your summer schedule, and that's probably been a bit of a busy time. And uh, during, during kind of this type of season, I can have this tendency where I start kind of getting on edge, like you just kind of being hyper-aware, like things are constantly happening, things are constantly needed, and so you kind of get ready for the day, and you're looking to next day at work, and you kind of get home, and it's kind of get to this point where you're having a hard time unplugging. You start being kind of hyper-aware in that fight-or-flight syndrome, and you just kind of get connected, and it's hard to find a way to unplug. It's hard sometimes to find a way to have consistency or find a way to recharge your batteries and just kind of get connected and be ready for the next day without constantly thinking about one thing, constantly thinking about work. And uh, so I, I... I kind of start looking for that. Like, you know, you start feeling like you're drowning immediately. You know, you're looking for dry land. You're looking for something to reach out and grab onto. You're looking for something that can kind of help you out. And so uh, sometimes one of the things I like to do at night uh, is I like to take showers in the dark sometimes. I uh, don't know why, but my, my bathroom happens to be one of the few in the house that don't ha- doesn't have a window to it. And so, like, if I shut the door and I you know, turn off all the lights, I can get it pretty pitch black in there. Like, I'm talking, like, can try and have something flying at your face, and you don't even see it. And so, like, you're in there, and your eyes will start to adjust, and even then, like, you start to adjust a little bit, and then all of a sudden, you start seeing some, like, blinking light, and it's like, okay, I left my razor or something on the charger, and that's starting to blink, and now it's bright again. I'm like, oh, man, I meant to turn that off or unplug it, and uh, something like that can start to be kind of a fake light, but it's enough light that we can start like, oh, I can use that to see by, right? Like we kind of adjust to that. Uh, it can kind of lead us astray. We can start, I might could make the assumption that's something I hadn't seen what real light was, that maybe that light is something that is real or that's something that can provide light, but it doesn't provide the same light as when I flip the lights back on and kind of have to adjust, right? There's something different about it. And so kind of we look for different things. And so uh, Paul in the, to the Philippians this morning talks about that, about us being lights to a dark world, about being lights to the world that point to a gospel people, a Christ-like people. And so we're going to read Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the world, to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, 
I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to dig into your word together. We pray that we may learn something from it to apply to our lives. Learn what you'd have us take from this and go out into the world with. To be lights in the darkness, Lord, to be a people that point to you always. Amen. So our, our main idea this, idea this morning uh, is that our conformity to Christ results in a life that is illuminating the truth of the gospel to a darkened world. So it's our conformity to Christ results in a life illuminating the truth of the gospel to a darkened world. And so Paul is talking to this Philippian people, and they're going through a pretty rough season. They're going through some trials and the persecutions. And so they've got some kind of heavy stuff being weighted upon them, and that may kind of feel a little bit kind of like what we're going through, like just the seasons of life that we get caught up in. Not all of it's inherently evil, right? Like things that keep us connected. They say that um, we're one of the most connected generations ever, and that can be a lot to start weighing into, to have a phone or computer in your pocket that we say has more computing power than took us to the moon in 1969. And so... That's a lot of connectivity. And if your child has that, it's, it's a lot of connectivity to be constantly connected. And we do this to each other sometimes. We, we send a text and we kind of like wonder if they don't reply within 30 seconds to a minute. Like, what are they doing? Why didn't they reply? And then we get mad like someone texts us. And we're like, well, why the heck did they text me at this time? Like, I need some time. Like, we have a break in all this. And so Paul is kind of giving them maybe a little bit of a model and some things I want us to see this morning about how to live in such a way that always glorifies Christ, that kind of conforms to Christ, but also still shines a light. And so, of these three things, one of those things that we see is a practical faith. And, I, you know, I love the Bible because of how, how real it is. It doesn't hide from things. It doesn't shy away from things. It, it meets us where we are. It hits people in their real spots. And so, it, in verses 12 through 13... He kind of talks about this because this is one of his personal churches. This is one that he started. We can go back to Acts 16 and kind of see this progression of where Paul planted this church and having converts, and then those converts got together and started meeting. And so he started this church himself. And so it's a little bit personal for him. And so he kind of knows the people personally he's talking to. It's like, you know, he's pastored there for a little bit, and then he went on to start another church, as was his model and so he's connecting with them and remembering them personally as he writes this. But there's a personal faith, a practical faith for us in this. Uh, this practical faith is can be, it has different elements. There's a personal element where we have a connection with our relationship with Jesus. There's a, a private side that's just between us and Jesus. It's between us and God, and as we grow closer together, and then there's kind of a corporate side that as we're individually growing closer to the Lord, that together we are molded in a corporate image together as the church, that he's working us all toward him. One of those things that we, one of those marks in this that's key is obedience. He calls us to obedience. He says, therefore, now as you not, not only as I, when I was with you, but now that I'm gone, continue to obey Continue to remember what Christ told us to do. Continue what we looked at. Continue what we've talked about. And we're not left alone in this. 
That's what I really like, like in, in verse 13 where it says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's awesome. We talk about like the God of the universe and how big he is and how strong and mighty he is. Like that, that someone so important and someone so mighty is in doing something in us personally, uniquely, individually, conforming what's going on in your life for your good. And so there's this Holy Spirit that he gives us when we believe. And if we pay attention to that, he slowly starts to give us some things to start saying, okay, I'm going to show you this. I want you to start working with this. And so we have this faith in that when we come to it, it's not perfect all at once. It may not be a shocker for those of you who have been a Christian for a little while. When we come to faith, you know, everything didn't get solved magically right away. Some things take time. And so Paul tells them that. He's being real with them. He's like, it's not going to be sunshine and rainbow all the time. So we must continue to work out our salvation, continue to work out this relationship that we have, and the Holy Spirit's there with you, guiding you and growing you. Because that leads us to our personal ministry, and ministry needs to be an overflow of what we are, an overflow of who we are inside. Because if it's not, it tends to be fake and insincere. It tends to be something that we're just putting on a show. And people kind of tell that. People can kind of tell when you're being real, when something's not consistent. And I think a lot of times it can, we're more about big show moments, right? I know what kind of movies you're into. We, uh, it's getting to be fall season, so Hallmark's going to have a new slew of movies coming around, and they're going to be kind of the same but also different. You know, it's, you got like five actors doing two plot lines with one main story. I mean, it's, it's great. It's all good. It's all cheesy and bad, and I'm going to watch a lot of them. And it's like these big show-stopping moments. You know, it has this, the guy comes back and he shows up. He leaves his high-end New York job to show up for the small-town girl, right? Or vice versa. She leaves her big, high-paying job, and I show up. And it's like, that's great, but you left a consistent good job. And maybe you could have worked something out that provides financial stability, you know? Like, something could have happened there. Um, And so that's... We like the big show moments, but life tends to be more consistent, small drops in a bucket. Not some big pour out the water and fill it all up at once. No, it's, it's, it's more of a consistency of daily life that we find when we take these small steps of daily obedience to Christ, that we find our bucket gets filled up, that he fills us up, that he starts working in in our lives and working out the salvation in us to grow us in our relationships with him. And so you kind of, through that, we start to see, you know, how God's will and works out and how he takes delight in seeing that change in us. Like he enjoys it. It's his will. It's his desire for us. So not only are we not alone in that, he, he takes pride in it. He takes joy in working with you. That's a, that's a lot for sometimes when we feel like we're by ourselves, that's a very big thing, like to know that someone cares and takes joy in it. Because sometimes we can get caught up with, I'm going to do this, but I'm, I'm doing it reluctantly, right? Like when we're at work and you're asked to do a job and it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to be happy about it. And sometimes we may feel that way about God, like, God, I know you made a commitment to me. 
because you're more consistent than I am, but I know you're, you're tired of me now because I'm doing the same thing again that I did before, and now you're irritated with me, but you're being consistent, and I thank you for that. That may be, but God's not like that. He's personal, and he takes pride and joy, and he says, that's mine, and we're working on things together. And so then we start to see this kind of way God starts weaving his personal sovereignty and his corporate sovereignty together. You may have experienced this before. You start talking about something you've been reading in Scripture, and someone says, I've been, paying I've been seeing that too. And you see this Holy Spirit that God's given each of us isn't isolated. It's actually working together. It's working together to conform us to his image. And he does that in different places. He does that to give different lights to the world. And so maybe you're learning something now that God intends for someone else to learn through you. And that's important. And so it's God's work in us that works in conjunction with our submission to him. And so because Christ represented us on the cross, that we now go out and represent him to the world. And it's through that daily submission. Then in verses 14 through 16, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation. So we have a, a practical faith that's real and it's personal, and we talk about how it, it's corporate, but we also have a perseverance. So we have this practical faith that leans into perseverance, a steadfastness, being consistent. And so we have this immediate command, stop the murmuring, stop the grumbling, stop all the fights. And that's kind of our natural reaction of people, right? We think about Adam and Eve, the first thing they did when, they got, when God shows back up, and he's, the first thing Adam does, well, the woman you gave me, she had this idea. I had no, I had no ability but to go along with it. We finger point. We blame another person. We, we kind of shift it off of us so we don't become the focus. And maybe for them, they kind of remembered Moses. Like Moses had some issues with this. As both a leader and his people, his people constantly grumbled, right? That's the story of the Israelite people. It's typically our story as well. We, we do well for a while. We start thinking, ah, I've got it all together. I'm, you see me, I'm doing pretty good. And then we fail. We take our eyes off of God, we take our eyes off of Jesus, and we start doing things our own way. And so sometimes even Moses got mad at this, right? He kind of says, God, these people you gave me, look what they're doing. And so he tells us, he, he says, stop all this grumbling, stop do this, let's, let's be unified. That doesn't mean perfect harmony. Doesn't mean everything's going to be a okay. People are still going to be people, right? Relationships are messy because people are messy, and so we have this. But we, he's saying, but maybe let's watch our tongues. Maybe let's watch what's going on. Watch the things that we're talking about, because to persevere and to have that blamelessness we talked about, we have to let some things go. We have to not always have it our way. We have to be able to submit our pride a little bit. And if anyone did that more than anyone else, it was Jesus. I mean, thinking about who he was. And the, book of, the letter of John does this really well, right? 
because it constantly talks about Jesus making the decision, saying it was not yet his time. He's, he's there, and he's doing this daily thing, and he's going out and interacting with these people who are ungrateful, who would complain to him, who would fuss about him. They would talk about God to him, and he would let some of that go because he was on mission. He had something in mind. And he confronted the things that he needed to where he needed to. And then he also would let some things go. He said, you know, some of that just doesn't really matter. And so it's easy for us to find fault in others. It's easy for us to redirect guilt from ourselves. And it's always us that are never at fault. But we have to start looking at this. If I'm grumbling and complaining all the time, what's at the root of that? What's at the heart of that? But the neat thing is what happens when we persevere and we work out this salvation is our witness starts to become blameless and innocent publicly. And you kind of know kind of the people around you that are the complainers, right? You kind of know what kind of happens with those. And you kind of remember them in those moments where uh, something happens. You remember how much they complain, especially if you're in charge of something and they start complaining about the something you produced. You kind of like, I mean, I'm glad that they were there, but did they have to say this? Did they have to complain all the time? Did they have to do all this? But when we're more consistent, our, our, our witness starts changing. And so the question becomes, like, what are we talking about in our conversations? Like, how do we evaluate this? What do we do to say, like, how do we kind of cut down on this? We, we ask ourselves, what dominates our conversations? Are we just complainers? Are we nitpickers? Do we find the small little thing that kind of disrupt? Like, yeah, that was a great event, but this is what they could have done better. It was a good Sunday morning, but, you know, I would have liked to do it this way. What do you think the person you're talking to will remember? That dominates our conversations. When we mention our churches or our ministries, you know, like, what kind of story are we telling? What kind of narrative and I'm not, I'm not talking about faking it. There's a difference. There's a difference between, oh, yeah, it was a great day, just constantly, all the time. It's just, it was just great. You know, that's, this was great. The sound was great. You know, we tend to start having this one word that can describe everything. It's like, no, it was good for me. I came in feeling like this, and this, this happened. And so we can't just fake it because people will be able to tell. It's kind of, it's the difference between trying to cover up a smell Versus knowing what the smell, like something really smells like. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in, well, if you're from Dublin, I'm pretty sure you know what a friendly gust smells like, right? And you can tell the difference. Like there's something that goes on. Even if you go in there after they freshly mop the floors, like, hmm, smells like fabuloso in here. With grease overriding it pretty heavily, right? Like it just permeates everything. You get a bottle of water from there, and you're like, wow, grease-flavored water. It just starts hitting. And I, don't, I love the chicken, but the consistency at which they fry things every single day just permeates throughout, and you can tell the difference that they are saturated in it, right? When we spend our time and consistency in the Word of God in that manner, it permeates through everything in our lives. And so there's a difference between the way we live and faking it, trying to cover something up, and when it starts to work through us. 
Because everything else that we try and do and make it happen, it falls short of the glory of God and it tends to stink. When we get jostled, when we, you know, uh, there's a pastor who used to say, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. You know, we have a cup of something that's in us and we get bunched and we shake and what's in us tends to bubble over. But when we have that consistency, when we have that perseverance and steadfastness, it leads to a joy in ministry. It leads to something consistent. We start realizing, man, a bucket's starting to get full here. And I can share a little bit of the water that I have because I'm full from daily being in the Word. It kind of develops this corporate testimony among us. Not only does it affect our private testimony, but as we gather together, our worship gatherings change. Because you can tell the people who have been in the word of God all week, and you're coming together to pour back out our praises to what God has done in us. And so our true joy is not what Paul's not talking about something here about vanity of legacy. He's not talking about like, oh yeah, I started this church. I want you to do really well because I started you. It's always consistently pointing to follow Jesus. Points back to God. Points back to this. And so our true joy isn't found in in something that we build or they remember us for. It's, It's found in the successful work in the kingdom of God. Because we want that to succeed and last. And the fact that it's eternal and it does. And so really, if we want that, if we really desire to see something be built and grow and last, there's nothing more important that we can invest into other than the kingdom of God. I think a lot of us have some fear, at least, of being maybe irrelevant, that we don't matter, that something isn't important that we're doing and that we're just kind of going through things and nothing really matters. That's not what God points us to. By being eternal, he made us eternal. And he has in mind a kingdom-oriented goal for us, both personally and no matter how much our personal lives seem or may feel insignificant, it's never insignificant to God. And it's really neat. Uh, One of these uh, missionaries I was looking at before, um, David Livingston, very famous and well-known missionary. A lot of what he did was less on the preaching and convert side and more of the exploration and creating pathways for future missionaries. He was the one that trailblazed Africa for people to get to. And so he's the one that finds the Victorian Falls and these massive giant waterfalls that had been there for hundred years, thousands of years, however long they had been there, largely unknown and unexplored by anybody except maybe a few locals. And yet he gets there, and they are just beautiful and majestic. And there's flowers growing on the hillside that God had personally planted and picked. And they had been there regardless of anyone getting to see them, but God got to enjoy them. And so those personal private moments that make us seem, that make us feel like they're, they're never insignificant. They never, we don't ever not matter to God. And there's typically something that we don't know about that he's doing in us personally, privately, that is affecting someone else corporately. 
whether or not we see it, he wants us to be and have that consistency. He wants us to be obedient because he's doing something maybe through somebody else, but he's using us. We're his A-team. Does that scare y'all just a little bit? Like God doesn't have a big backup plan. He sent Jesus. He started some apostles and disciples, and they go plan into other people, and then now he's using us. Like, that's a little scary, just a little bit to think like, God, you could have got someone a little better. You could have found someone a little more. But that's not how God gets the glory. And so Paul mentions this, and as he talks about where he's kind of getting toward, uh, at this point he's kind of in Rome, he's kind of reaching the end of his ministry, and he kind of acknowledges where he's headed. He's, he's, he's aware. He's not uncertain. He, he knows what's seeming to be happening. He's been arrested. He's on house arrest. And so he's writing back some of these letters for things that he's heard about. And he's talking about what's going on in verses 17 through 18. He said, Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. And so in the end, we talk about a practical faith, this perseverance, but then we also get a personal joy. And that feeds back in to the other two. Paul's mentioned this being proud and the joy of ministry, and he's excited and he's happy about it because he's seeing the fruit of it. He's had some consistency. He's had some inconsistency. He said, I figured out what it's like to be in great times and bad times and the consistency of Jesus through it all. But he says this joy in ministry and being faithful and true to God and seeing such a thing, all this affliction is worth it. Our relationship with God doesn't just wait till the end of time until, until we go to heaven. It starts now. And Paul is here at the end of his ministry and he's experiencing some rough times in life and he's saying, no, it's worth it. I've counted the cost and I consider it joy here. And I'm seeing what's going on with you, and I'm proud, and I'm excited. And what I've poured into it has all been worth it. If I'm going to about to be hanged or beheaded or put on a cross, whatever happened to all the 12 apostles, they all said it was worth it. So there, rejoice. And sometimes that's a little more difficult for us, is in those moments where we're down, and we're experiencing the hardship, to actually say, you know what, now is when I need to rejoice. Now is when I need to sing some hymns or some songs. And Paul's not just whistling Dixie. He's not just writing a letter unhanded. And what's really neat is if you go to Acts chapter 16, and you look at the start of this church, the way this church started is he goes to Philippi, and he meets this woman who's very wealthy. She's selling purple. We know that. So she's excited. And he converts her. And then he's going around doing ministry and trying to share the gospel. And this guy with a demon starts falling around, starts irritating him a little bit. So finally, cast out the demon. And then that upsets people because they were making money. And so they say, you know what? We're throwing you in jail. You messed up our business. You made yourself a little, you know, like, be Christian where you, you know, if I'm saying this. People want and don't mind you being Christian as long as you're not too Christian, right? Paul got a little too Christian for him. 
And so they throw him in jail, and this one jailer sends him to the stocks because he's afraid, because now it's a public scene, right? And he has to be made example of, and he has to make sure that no one gets out. And so he throws him back in the back in the stocks and has him beaten and placed in stocks. And what does Paul do in the midst of that? They find him singing psalms and hymns and praising the name of Jesus. So he says, likewise, be glad and rejoice with me. We need to celebrate. Take some joy. Recognize what God is doing. Take a moment, say it, write it down. Put it up somewhere. Take a moment and just say praises. We, we do a lot of prayer requests, but we never do prayer praises, right? Remember what God has done. Because when we find ourselves grumbling, a lot of times it's because we're so focused on the problem that we've forgotten what God's already brought us through. And that can be like the Israelites, you know, we forget God just parted a giant sea and made a thousand foot wall of water for me to walk through on dry ground. And now I'm worried about food. Now I'm worried about something else. And so he starts bringing down food every single morning. He's like, well, now I'm worried about this. Now I'm just uncomfortable. I'm worried about being uncomfortable when God's provided food, a pathway for me in life. Can God not do that? Am I doubting God because of that? Because I've already forgotten to celebrate what God can and has done for me? So we need to take some joy. We need to celebrate. We need to remember. And as we do that, then we find that that's what kind of comes up on our lips. That's what kind of digs into the conversations. When we're able to celebrate and remember what God has done, then the joy becomes then that others may come and see what God has done. What the angel says on the tomb, come and see what God has done, that we get to share that. And even the things that we may have been, have been embarrassed about, our sins, our past selves, the things that we used to be known for, our former shame becomes a public joy. This is what I used to be, but thank God I'm not anymore. These are the things that I'd struggle with, but God's working with me through them. This person put up with me for several years while they shared the gospel for me, while I was this person. And it becomes a light that people see and they can't ignore it. And it's piercing through the darkness. It shines brightly. So this is the contrast we want to see between a dark world that offers very little. It offers very little joy. It offers suppression and guilt and shame. Instead, he wants us to shine through. And so when life happens, we're not surprised by that. When something, when a lost person acts like a lost person, we shouldn't overreact and go crazy on them. We should expect it. God prepared us for this. Jesus said this. And that may affect some of the ways that we're used to living. When Jesus said, foxes have dens, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, what he may be calling us to may be difficult. But he's not letting us walk through it alone. 
is that ought to change the way that we walk through life and the way that we talk about our lives. Because no matter what we're talking about, no matter what we're going through, we're never alone through it. That's very important. And whatever it's being done, whatever is going on, God, we know, is using it to shape us, to mold us into something for his good, for our good. So maybe that's where you're at this morning. Is that, have you seen that light before and never responded? God calls us to consistently turn from sin, to trust in him, and begin to follow him. And that's consistent, that even if we've been a believer for years, and we find something that he shows us, that he calls us to a step of obedience, turn from the thing, trust in me, and begin to follow him. As the praise team comes back up, I'm going to close in song and, and celebrate baptism, what God has done to bring someone from death to life. That is, that is a great time in the house of the Lord to be able to celebrate what God does and only God can do. But maybe you're someone that you're going through a season of life and maybe you haven't felt consistency. Maybe you haven't felt God moving in your presence. Or maybe you find yourself, I haven't been obedient to God. Turn, trust, follow. If you haven't placed your trust and faith in Jesus as Lord, turn, trust, and follow today.